This morning, as I said, we're going to continue this topic of healthy church. And really, one of the most important aspects of the Christian life is really prayer. And the sad reality is, I, with one breath, I say the most important aspect of the Christian life is prayer. And the sad reality is most people don't pray. You know, I've said it many times like this. We don't pray because we don't pray. See, if we pray, if I were to make the decision to pray, that means I'm probably going to have to ask God, Lord, forgive me for not praying, right? And so we don't even want to talk about that. And so what we do is we, we stop ourselves from praying because we haven't prayed in the past. I was d- doing my study this week, and um, I was reading uh, uh, some comments from another pastor, pastor at the uh, First Baptist Church in Camden, Arkansas. His name's Casey Ho. Uh, Juan, I don't know if Wanda's here with us this morning. Uh, his name, Casey, he said these words. He said, prayer should never be an afterthought. Prayer should always be our first thought. I thought that's good. Prayer should never be an afterthought. And quite frankly, that's what we typically do, right? We wait until we find ourselves in some situation, some circumstance, until the point where we come to our knees and we say, God, I can't deal with this. And then we call out upon the name of the Lord. Instead of waking up every morning excited and challenged by a new day that we've been blessed with and giving praise to God, we usually wait until we're in some type of situation. The truth is, folks, whether we pray alone in our closet, you know, Jesus said when you pray, enter into your closet, right? Whether we pray in our closet alone, whether we're praying in some type of a Sunday school or small group Bible study setting, or whether we pray just like we did corporately, together, in some larger worship service, prayer should be a priority. Let me say that again. (laughs) Prayer should be a priority. It really should be. And, you know... Here's, here's the funny thing. By the way, I'm just like you. I'm a sinner that have been saved by God's amazing grace. Just because I stand up behind this sacred desk doesn't change my salvation one bit. I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. And I have had periods in my life where I fail to pray. Why? Because much like everyone else, there come times and seasons in our life when we think we can handle it on our own. And so we figure like we're doing God a favor. We're like, Lord, we're going to leave you out of this one. We're going to take care of it on our own. But the reality is we cannot do anything, anything without his ability. When we think about the the disciples, the apostles in the early church, some of the things that we see from Scripture are the fact that they loved Jesus. We know this from the early church. They wanted to share him with the world. They were bold witnesses. They cared for one another. They enjoyed fellowshipping with one another. They had proof that the message that they were preaching and teaching was authentic. And they trusted God in everything. But here's the reality. When we look at all of these things, what I see mixed in and intermingled with all of these truths is the fact that prayer was a key ingredient to their success. These guys, they they prayed every time they turned around. In fact, when we look at Scripture, the early church communicated with God so much that you cannot help but to read God's Word and understand that prayer was a priority for them. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, 
Jesus ascends up into heaven. And the very first thing we see is that the disciples, they actually return to Jerusalem. Remember in verse number 11, they say, Hey, ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus that came unto you, uh, that has gone up into heaven, will come back. Right? And so they stand there gazing. Well, then they return to Jerusalem. And in verse number 14, it's up on the screen, it says, Here's the first thing they did. They get back to Jerusalem and it says, These all continued with one accord in prayer. They get up into the upper room and they start praying. That word prayer means that they were worshiping God. The word that follows it and talks about supplications is not only were they worshiping Him, but they were making their requests. They were making them known to God. They needed God's strength. They needed His power. In fact, in the same chapter, if you go a little bit further on in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, remember they're trying to figure out who's going to take Judas Iscariot's place, right? And in Acts chapter 1, verse number 24, the Bible says that they prayed before they casted lots to determine Matthias was going to be his replacement. In Acts chapter 2, and we'll go there in just a second, the Bible tells us that the early church was filled with new believers. The Bible says that they were saved, 3,000, and it says all that believed and had all things in common, such as should be saved. The Bible tells us this, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in this fellowship, in breaking of bread, but also in prayers. Think about the Apostle Paul. You know, when Apostle Paul wrote letters to churches, one of the first things he always told these churches was that he was doing what for them? Do you remember? He said he was praying for them. He made mention of them in his prayers time and time and time again. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes to that church at Thessalonica and he simply says these words, pray without ceasing. Think about that. He says, pray without ceasing. He says, listen, this should be something that is evident in your life. He instructs the church at Colossus. In Colossians 4, too, I did a series this past fall and early in just after Christmas, I did a series on Wednesday nights. I encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities too. I love teaching on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. And on Wednesday nights I did this series on going back to the school of prayer. And in Colossians 4, verse number 2, Paul writes to them and he says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. If you go over to James, James says and confirms the same thing in James 5, 16. He says this, he says, we should confess our faults to one another. And then he says we should pray for one another. But notice what? He says that we may be healed. And then notice what he says there. He says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word there, notice what it says. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The word effectual actually means active. See, so, so what James is saying is saying the prayer that is active, somebody, if you're going to see God do something, you have to be active in prayer. See, prayer must be woven into the very fabric of our lives. In every detail, in every decision that you and I make, we should be asking God for wisdom. We should be asking God to intervene in our lives. Look with me on the opposite page from Acts chapter 4 to Acts chapter 2. Look, flip over to Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible, uh, Acts chapter 2, I want you to see something. I want to encourage you, bring your Bible. This is the one place where nobody will, will, will uh, hurt or harm you for carrying your Bible. It's okay. We're, 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 we're Bible free in here. You can bring it. All right? I have no objections to you bringing your Bible uh, to the Lord's house. In Acts chapter 2, notice what the Bible says. In verse 41 and following, 
Acts chapter 2. It says this, Then they gladly received his word. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Good stuff. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, notice here, continued daily with one accord in the temple. They would go to the temple. I got news for you. They're going to the temple to pray. They're going to the temple to have this service, it says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. Another aspect of prayer, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, the movement of God in this early church was so incredibly powerful Listen, they were continuing in the teaching of God's word. They wanted to hear the teaching of God's word. That's a new thought in our day and age. They actually clamored to hear God's word taught. They also, they continued hanging out with one another. Man, we had a great fellowship yesterday with our small group Bible study. What an amazing time. I know some of the men got together Friday night. Uh, by the way, if you want to be a part of that, uh, get with uh, get with us at the information desk. Give us your information so that we can contact you. There's a group of men that goes out like every third Friday of the month, and they just go out and fellowship and hang out with one another. They also had a ladies group do that on Friday. Then Saturday, our small group Bible study got together over at Frank and Pam Sherman's house, and we just had a great time of fellowship. And there's a group today, another Bible study group that's having another fellowship today. This is what the early church did. They broke bread together. They fellowshiped with one another. But they did more than that. They just didn't hang out and eat together. They prayed together. Prayer was an incredibly important part of the early church. In fact, so much so, so much was going on in this early church. Guys, put back up verse 43 and 44. Notice what takes place. The Bible says this. It says that fear, this, this idea of awe or reverence of God, came upon every soul. Now stop right there. We're talking about every soul in Jerusalem. So here's the really cool thing. The word of God was being preached. Lives were being changed. The Bible says 3,000, right? Were added to the church, about 3,000. It was having such an incredible impact on those that were around the city of Jerusalem. It says, and fear came upon every soul. Believer and unbeliever alike. The community, the area was being impacted by the gospel. And they saw the church fellowshipping. They saw the church hungry for God's word. They saw the church breaking bread together. And they saw the church going into the temple daily in one accord to pray. This is an incredible passage of scripture when we break it down. God used this exciting church to impact those inside the church and those outside the church. Why? Because they were of one soul. They were of one mind. They were of one heart. They had one passion, and their passion was Jesus. I was reading an article entitled, The Twelve Characteristics, oddly enough, The Twelve Characteristics of a Healthy Church, by Dr. Richard Crasier. And he wrote these words in regards to prayer. He says this. He says, prayer must permeate every aspect of your church. 
from praying for the people, needs, programs, opportunities, and direction, before the meetings, in the meetings, after the meetings, before the services, during the services, after the services, and everywhere else, continually and fervently. The bottom line is that if you have a church that does not pray and only gives lip service to it, you will never grow as a church. He goes on to say these words. He says, true growth and true health is not only in numbers, it is in our commitment and obedience to his service. Oh yes, my friends, healthy churches pray. Healthy churches pray because it reflects a dependence on God's power. You see, when I pray, when I get down on my knees, one, when we get down on our knees, it's a sign of what? Humility. In the home, it's a sign of obedience when I get down on my knees in front of my wife. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> when we, I had to do something to get, wake you up. I had to get you laughing. When we get down on our knees, right? Like the early church has done here. When we get down on our knees, we are showing God. We are saying to God before we even utter one word, God, we are dependent upon you. We need your power. We can do nothing without you. Lord, we believe that you are the vine and we are the branches. But guess what? It begins in that act of humility that says, oh, God, since I know from your word that your thoughts and your ways are much higher than my thoughts and my ways, I'm just going to resign myself, right, Randy, right? We got to pray. We need God's power, right, right, Shona? And so what we do is we get on our knees, right? And we ask and we put the call out for people to pray because we got big things that we need God to do in our life. This is what they did. It's a healthy church because they understood their dependence on God for his power. But healthy churches also pray because it demonstrates their submission to God's will. Right? It's not, a, it's not all about me. It's not all about me. And yet when we get down on our knees and pray, 99 and 44 one hundredths percent of our prayer, as Ronnie Millsap used to sing about. <laughs> I just got an amen for Ronnie Millsap singing... <laughs> 99 and 44, 100% pure love. 99 and 44, 100% of the time, let's be honest, guys. Our prayers can be a little selfish. God, I just don't feel like going to church today. I know you died for the church, but... Remember, when we use the word but... I tell people, pay attention to what comes after the but. The beautiful thing is in Scripture, when God uses the word but, oh, big things begin to happen. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, I like that but. Oh, but God who is rich in mercy. Oh, I love that. We love that, right? We love it when God loves us and he's rich in mercy. But we don't love it enough many times to pray for the things that are according to his will. See, no matter what we go through, we should be resigned. We should be willing to get on our knees and say, God, your will be done, not mine. God, I need you to take this mess. I need you to turn it out and, and use it for good. 
And if it's not for my good, use it for somebody else's good, right? If I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, right? God, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear. I'm going to go through it because you might be using me in a miraculous way to reach somebody else. And then you may take that person and that person may reach somebody else. And God, I don't even understand it. But this is what the healthy churches do. They pray. Because it reflects dependence upon God's power. Because it demonstrates our submission to his will. And healthy churches also pray because it reveals our desperation for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Now you may have come this morning and you're like, listen, I came to a Baptist church. I don't want to hear about the Holy Spirit today. Um, I, I very rarely say amen. So let's keep it kind of calm, cool, and collected. All right, Pastor? Uh, let's not get crazy here. Can I tell you, it was Jesus, we were talking right after Sunday, it was Jesus who said, I'll leave the Holy Spirit with you to guide you into all truth. He left him here for a purpose. See, Philippians 2, Philippians 2 verse 13 tells us that it's God that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure without God working in our lives, we're in trouble. And so I just simply say, healthy churches pray. And such was the case in Acts chapter 4. Travis read one verse. But such was the case in Acts chapter 4. And if you don't know the story, here's, here's incredibly, I think about this story in Acts chapter 4. It's the first time that they come, this early church comes face to face with opposition and persecution. They come face to face, man, smack dab, right? Opposition and persecution. Because in Acts chapter 2, the, the fire comes down from heaven. They're all filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and they get up, Peter gets up and he preaches. And then you get down to about verse number 38. And they're like, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, right? He tells them what they got to do. And then we, we see the outworkings of the early church and everything's going good. And then, boom, Acts chapter 3 happens. What started it all in Acts chapter 3? Guys, show verse number 1 of Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they're going to the temple to do what? Uh-oh. Little thought for us. Sometimes when we go into our prayer closet, sometimes when we gather with our small group Bible study, sometimes when we gather for worship to pray, trouble soon follows. Anybody ever walked out of the Lord's house and been attacked immediately, spiritually? You get on the road and somebody's flying you uh, the bird, as they say, because you cut them off in a lane, or you get to a restaurant, or you get home and something else happens and something else happens and there's trouble. They go to the temple to pray here in Acts chapter 3, but I say... God was using it all. It's just like he did in the Old Testament. You remember how God used every set of circumstances in Joseph's life? You remember Joseph, right? His brothers, they, they, they basically bury him alive. They, they want to kill him. And then one of the brothers says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into the pit. And then they sell him to the Midianites. They sell him. He goes down into Egypt. He becomes Potiphar's uh, houseman and all this and on and on. Well, you know what Joseph said at the end of it all, right? In Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20. Joseph says, hey, you jokers meant it for evil, right? Oh, there it is. But as for you, you thought it evil against me. But God meant it for good unto this day to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Guys, 
just like you're going to see here real quickly in Acts chapter 4, sometimes bad things happen so that greater things can take place. We have to be careful. We have to be careful about getting all doom and gloom, putting out the, the sad lip and being upset because things are happening. God's ways and his thoughts are much higher than ours. Notice what takes place. Notice what takes place. Acts chapter 3, they go to the temple and they pray. Acts uh, uh, verse number 2, we find that there's a 40-year-old, we reveal that later, there's a 40-year-old lame man laying there at the gate, right, in, in verse number 2. And his friends actually pick this guy up and they take him daily. This guy's been lame since birth. And so his friends actually take him to the gate, they lay him down, and they lay him there so that he can ask alms. He can ask people for charity. It's like, hey, can you, can you help, help me out, right? And so then you get there in Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John, they look at him, he looks back. And then verse number 6, I believe it is, Peter says these words, he says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. He says now, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so you know the rest of the story. Peter reaches out, he helps the guy, he gets up, and, and the Bible says in verse 7 that as he's standing, as he's standing, his feet and the bones are strengthened, and he stands up and he walks in the temple, and the very first thing this guy does in recognition of his healing, he starts praising God. He doesn't praise Peter or John. He starts praising God in the temple, right? And then so then what you see is he comes to Peter and John and he's holding on them, right? In verse uh, number 11, let's read verse number 11, I think it is. It says, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, notice this. It says, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's. And notice the last two words, it says, greatly wondering. They're like, what the heck is going on? What is going on? And Peter sees thousands of people gathered. And I know that because if you look at Acts chapter 4, verse number 4, you can look in yourself right there. You'll know that 5,000 men believed on Jesus Christ. And so there's got to be more. There's got to be women and children. And there's got to be more than that because it doesn't say that every person got saved. So there's thousands upon thousands of people that gather around. And when they look at him and they're greatly wondering, Peter says, Ah, huh, thank you, Lord. Here's another opportunity for me to preach Jesus. And so he begins preaching Jesus. Notice, he begins preaching Jesus and telling everybody about Jesus. And here's the thing. If we were to stop and just say, man, how amazing is that? God used Peter and John. The lame man's healed. People are hearing the gospel. We're like, stop, end of story. That would be amazing. But as Paul Harvey used to say, let's look at the rest of the story. Because guess what? At this time in Jerusalem, there is no First Amendment, folks. There is no First Amendment protecting the freedom of speech or the freedom of religion. See, there were consequences for what was taking place. Notice in Acts chapter 4. Let's read the first, first few verses here for a little bit. Notice what it says. It says, And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, now, that phrase, came upon them, denotes that they actually came upon them with violence. They just didn't come up and pat them on the shoulder. It says they came upon them. It's referencing that they did so with violence. Verse number two, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they, notice, not only did they come upon them with violence, it says, and they 
laid hands on them. Now, they were not praying for them. They were not saying, you guys lay, uh, kneel here and we're going to pray for you. No, they're laying hands on them in, in a uh, forceful way. And it says this, it says, and put them in hold. Now, in Acts chapter 5, just a sidebar thought. In Acts chapter 5, they're then locked up in the common prison. I believe here in Acts chapter 4 that they're put into a, a particular hold. Maybe they have a special guard that watches them overnight because the Bible says it's, it's evening tide, which means it's in the evening. They're not going to have this council, this determinate council, so to speak, until the next day. So it says here they put them in hold. Now notice what it says. Verse number, uh, uh, verse number four, how be it, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. There again, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, right? And so then go to verse five. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and the elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, speaking of Peter and John there, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And if you read on, how incredible is this? Verse number eight, they're faced with trouble. Peter goes, ah, another great opportunity to preach Jesus. And let me tell you who you put to death. And he starts telling them how they put Jesus to death. It's like, that's not a real pleasurable message. Right, And so he preaches to them here in verses 15 to 17. The Bible reveals that this council, they actually confer with one another and they're figuring out what they should do. And so here's what takes place, and that's verse 15, 16, and 17. They come back and they give the plan. They say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to threaten them a little bit more that they shouldn't teach or preach in the name of Jesus. Notice what Paul, Peter and John do. Peter says this, in verse number 19, the Bible says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In verse 21, if you look there, it, they threaten Peter and John again before letting them go. And then notice verse 23, because here's their response. Peter and John are let go, and notice what the first thing they do is. Here's their response. And being let go, they went to their own company. It's not talking about their place of employment, folks. They went to their own company. They went to the other apostles. They went to the other believers. How many believers had been saved, does the Bible tell us thereabouts in Acts chapter 2? Well, we got 5,000 here. How many did we have in Acts chapter 2? How many is that now? That's a pretty big church. That's a, that's, a new, that's a new method for church growth strategy. 8,000, right? And it says they go to their own company, and here's what they do. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Now here's where it gets really interesting. The church, the other apostles, hearing the news of what has taken place overnight and this morning, what's the first thing they do? Look at verse 24. Verse 24, the first thing they do, the Bible says, is they pray. It says, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. They start praying. And so I'm just simply going to suggest, 
because I'm going to wrap this message down and put a bow on it for us. I just simply suggest that their best option and my best option and your best option and our best option is always to pray. It's to pray. Get on our knees and cry out to God and pray. Look in verse 24. Here's, look at how they prayed. If you're a note taker, here it is. They prayed with unity. They prayed with unity. It says, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with how many accords? Toyota drivers don't get upset, okay? They lifted up their voice in one accord. That means that they were unified. They were together. They had all things common, as the Bible said in Acts chapter 2. They were unified in their prayers. The church was healthy because they were knit together. Why were they knit together? They had the same focus. They had the same goal. They had the same purpose. And his name and his name today is still the same. It's Jesus. That was their purpose. And so they prayed in unity. These persecuted Christians gathered together with their church family. The apostles, Peter and John, they go back to their church family because they knew that they needed one another. And as a church, they get on their knees and they pray because they knew they needed God. They needed God to intervene. I was reading the 19th century Methodist minister Samuel Chadwick said this. He said, Satan dreads nothing. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints of God from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless Bible study, prayerless work or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Oh, this early church, they prayed in unity. In fact, 1 John chapter 5, in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14 and 15, remember I said we have to pray according to his will, right? John writes this, it says this, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How amazing is that? Verse 15, verse 15 goes on, and it says, And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him. See, when we get to the point where our prayers are unified as a body of believers, oh, that's healthy. That's healthy. See, this, this church was healthy because their prayers that they offered, they offered them in unity. But this church was also healthy because they prayed with great clarity. Not only great unity, great clarity. Look at verse 24 again. In verse 24, the Bible says, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. Period. Let's just stop right there for a second. If you begin your prayer... Every time you pray, Lord, thou art God, I'm going to suggest the Lord will be pleased because you have just recognized him as being God. They had great clarity. They understood who God was. Notice it goes on. Lord, thou art God, which hast made the heaven and the earth. In fact, reading on, let me read on uh, uh, heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is therein. Verse 25 who by the mouth of thy servant David had, Seth, had said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate 
with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And verse number 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And so they continue on in prayer, but they prayed with great clarity because fear was not going to govern their faith. This church understood that God was sovereign. They understood that he was in control. They understood and they honored his work as creator God. And they believed in God. They had a great understanding of who God was. In fact, if you notice verse 24 again, where it says, uh, they said, Lord, uh, in verse number 24, it says, uh, Lord, thou art God. That word Lord there is the Greek word despotes. Despotes. And it actually means absolute ruler. Absolute ruler. They were saying, Lord, you are the absolute ruler. Therefore, since we recognize you as sovereign, since we honor you as creator of this world, we're coming to you on our knees. We're bending our knees. We're humbling ourselves and asking you to intervene in this, in this situation. In fact, when you get to verse 29, all they say is behold their threatenings. They don't even ask for it to go away. They just say, behold, take notice of what's going on, God. Listen, to them he was sovereign, he was in control, he was to be praised. Oh, they were healthy because they had clarity in their prayers. And then I would just say this lastly, they were healthy because their prayers were offered with great purity. Great purity. I think sometimes when we pray, we pray for small things. We pray for personal things. This church, they were not praying at this time for personal things. They were not praying for small things. They were praying for big things, large things. They, see, they actually believed that God was able to do exceeding abundantly above all they could ever ask or think, right? According to the power that works in them. And so they prayed for big things. Notice verse 29 and verse 30. It says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants. Here's what we're asking you to do, God. We're not asking you to get rid of these people. We're asking that you do something in us. And notice it says this, Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Oh, they didn't ask. Folks, we're going to be persecuted in this life. Jesus said, you're going to face troubles. But don't be discouraged. Isn't that what he said in John 16, 33? He said, but do not be troubled because I've overcome the world. Right? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We know that from 1 John 5, 4, 4, 4, rather. And so they're asking for boldness. All they want is boldness so that they can expound or explain God's word. They're asking for, for boldness so that, that God would extend his hand, that he would do greater things in that area. They, you know what they asked? They said, God, help us to exalt your name. Give us boldness that we might bring you honor and glory to your name. These were the things that they were asking. They were not asking for selfish things. And then Travis read that verse that tells us all about the results. In verse 31, the Bible says, and when they had prayed, it wasn't a long prayer, was it? It was a short prayer. They had recognition of who God was as the absolute ruler. They gave credit. They actually referenced, by the way, if you read verses 25 through 28, it's actually a reference to Psalm number 2. 
It's a reference to Psalm number 2. And if you look at the imagery between Psalm number 2 and Acts chapter 4, verses 25 to 28, it gives this image of God sitting upon his throne laughing at anybody that comes against his son, Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? It's what they're praying. And the results were, it says here in verse 31, when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They had a mini earthquake. They had a mini earthquake right there where they were meeting because of their prayer. And then the Bible says this. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said of anything of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And then verse 33 you see two other results. Not only were they filled with the Holy Spirit, not only did they get the ability to go speak boldly, but notice what verse 33 says. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. God, listen, God strengthened them with great power, and God blessed them with great grace. He said, listen, you want to be strengthened? I have that ability. I can strengthen you. You need grace? I'm going to give you grace. Why did they need grace? Because they were facing opposition and persecution. Sometimes we need grace in our life, don't we? Beyond the amazing grace that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord, through the forgiveness of sin, there are days that we get up and we need a, a huge helping of God's grace. There are other days that we get up and we need a huge helping of God's mercy. And this is what God was telling them. Listen, the God's grace was so prevalent on this early church that the people came, became consumed. If you read on in Acts chapter 4, they became consumed with sharing and caring for one another. Hold on a second. Are we consumed with caring and sharing for one another in this room? The early church was a healthy church. I'm begging us to get on our knees and ask God to do a work in our midst. Not to provide for our 401ks. Not to provide this, that, or the other. Not, not those, those, those small things. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and then all those things shall be added unto you. I'm not talking about those small things. I'm talking about big things. Would we get on our knees and ask God for boldness? God, help me to tell my friends about Jesus. God, help me to tell my, my brother about the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help me to tell my neighbor. Help me to tell my coworker about the Lord. They've been struggling. They need help. But I'm scared to tell them, God, give me boldness. Give me boldness to share the love of Christ with somebody. Have we done that? Because this was crazy. We didn't even know this was going to come up, but it was in my message before we even talked about it. Coming out of class, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is not in danger. What's at stake here is the health of the church. The church is not in danger because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But that doesn't mean that the church is healthy. Listen, we know from Luke 18, 1, that Jesus, he taught he taught that men ought always to pray. And so I beg you this morning, be a part of a healthy church and pray. J.C. Ryle, and I close with this, with this 
quote he wrote. J.C. Ryle, the Anglican Bishop of Liverpool from the 1800s, he said these words. He said, a habit of prayer is one of the surest marks of a true Christian. All the children of God on earth are alike in this respect. From the moment there is any life and reality about their relationship with Christ, they pray. Just as the first sign of life in an infant when born into the world is an act of breathing, so the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. Is praying. I got a question. What was it that brought the early church immediately to their knees in prayer? Remember, we just walked through the story. They were facing opposition and persecution. That was the immediate cause that brought them to their knees in prayer. Now, I've often said I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But as I look around on May the 20th of 2018, do we think that the church is facing any type of opposition? Yes? No? Do we think the church is facing any type of persecution today? The early church? The healthy church we find in Scripture? You know what their response was? They prayed. They prayed. And so I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. I'm going to ask you to pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.